Well, greetings, everyone. Good morning. Welcome. Glad y'all are here. Uh, looking forward to our uh, time together. Uh, today is day 53 of the year, and so Psalm 53 is a Psalm of David, and uh, I thought we would use that to uh, open up our time together. So let's pray. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt, and their ways are vile. There is no one who does good. God looks down from heaven on all mankind to see if there are any who understand, any who seek God. Everyone has turned away. All have become corrupt. There is no one who does good, not even one. Do all these evildoers know nothing? They devour my people as though eating bread. They never call on God. But they are overwhelmed with dread, where there was nothing to dread. God scatters the bones of those who attack you. You put them to shame, for God despised them. Oh, that salvation for Israel would come out of Zion. When God restores his people, let Jacob rejoice and Israel be glad. In the name of Jesus, we pray. And everyone said, Amen. Well, this morning we're picking up on the probably greatest tragedy of David's life, the civil war launched by his son, Absalom. You guys know we sat right on the middle of a, a debate as to the best way for Absalom to deal with David and his, his troops. Um, should we uh, get the sort of available army of 12,000 and immediately move against David? Or should we wait and call up the whole army so that we can have tens of thousands of troops to get against David? And there's a little bit of a court intrigue going on here that David has a plant in Absalom's court, the guy Hushai. So it's a, it's, it's a mess. Um, you know, I was struck again with Steve reading the psalm. You know, David is asking that the enemies be, uh, their bones be scattered. Um, the, the Jews have an interesting way of burial uh, that comes up with Jesus. So they cut caves, you guys know this, out of the limestone in Jerusalem. It's very soft, porous, sort of like Austin. And then inside the cave, they cut a bed, basically a bench. So when grandma dies, you put her on the bench, and then you put the stone over. They have a hyena problem in Israel. It's the craziest thing you ever saw. When we go to dumps and stuff, you see maybe birds or coyotes. <laughs> when you go to Israel, you see hyenas. So nothing uh, ruins a family reunion like the hyena chewing on grandma. So you, you gotta you, you gotta seal up the cave pretty well. But when uh, uh, you, you leave 
you know, the funeral, you leave them in there and then they decompose in the bones. And then the next time you need it, you just take the bones and you put them in the back of the cave and you put the next person out. So they have this great saying in Hebrew, uh, to be gathered unto uh, my forefathers, which sounds very spiritual, you know, go to heaven. Just means your bones get pitched in the pile uh, with everybody else. So it's it's interesting to excavate. We've I've seen several uh, of these tombs. I mean, that literally be generations of bones. So for David to say, "May your bones be scattered," it's the exact opposite, right? You're not with your family. You're not with, in the sense, your forefathers where you were supposed to be, and that's what happens to Absalom. So here David is generically talking about the bad guys. But what do you do when it's your own kid? How do you, how do you fight that? And uh, I, I don't want to get too much into this, but this is Kurt being honest. Um, my son goes to Midland Christian. Do I need to say more? And I am beyond frustrated that the school has taken on this mentality that uh, we are under assault by the devil. So like David was saying, our enemies have come against us and we're just going to fight. You know, sometimes you need to repent. Don't, don't drag God into your bad decisions, uh, which is exactly what David is doing. God is with us, but he's not going to always be our genie to get us out of the, the, the messes that we get ourselves into. So let's, let's pick up. Um, actually, I'm going to begin. Uh, what do I want to begin? Uh, I guess verse 14. Um, that was chapter 17, I'm sorry. Chapter 17, verse 14. Then Absalom and all the leaders of Israel said, Hushai's advice is better than uh, Ahithophel's, for the Lord has arranged to defeat the council of Ahithophel, which really was the better plan, so they could bring disaster upon Absalom. So this is a, a really hard verse. It's tempting to skip it, but we shouldn't. So this is the first time in this whole mess that God is said to be acting. So remember, uh, Ahithophel is probably giving the better advice that you need to move against David quickly. Uh, Hushai is David's plant, is loyal to David. Poor Absalom has not been raised well, and so he doesn't know who to listen to. And then you really do have this, this sense of... Um, God wants this war to end quickly. Uh, he, he doesn't want, in a sense, David to be killed. Uh, this is almost back to the psalm again, where David is uh, asking for God's help, and God's giving him his help. But stop and think about it for a minute. What would you do if your kid was trying to take your business from you, what would you do if you know, you're a king and you, your kid's trying to overthrow you? What, what would you do?
Would you fight? Would you let it go? Would you talk to him? I don't know. Aren't you glad you're not king? Oh, well, there, there, are, there are some some good parts. So then in verse 15, we get the uh, mission impossible uh, scenario where uh, the priests are working with David, and so the message is passed to the priests, and they send messengers, the messengers run out, the messengers almost get caught, um, they hide in a well, a woman covers the top of the well with grain that looks like it's drying, so the spies, I don't know necessarily if we need to go through all of that, um, although look at verse 23, this is what we alluded to earlier. So chapter 17, verse 23. So David has decided with Hushai's advice, so they will gather the whole army to go against David. 23. Meanwhile, Ahithophel was publicly disgraced when Absalom refused his advice. So he saddled his donkey, went to his hometown, set his fares in order, and hanged himself. He died there and was buried beside his father is what we were talking about earlier. Uh, his bones will be scattered with his family's bones. That's pretty dramatic. What's, what's going on there? It is strange. Yeah. Absalom <laughs> just lost. David's back untold. So I'm in it now. <laughs> why? Why go through the suffering? There's, uh, I, there's probably some truth to that. Culturally, Hebrews are are very sensitive to public disgrace. Um, you know, one of the things that we never talk about. Uh, Romans when they crucify people, are ultimately designed to humiliate your leader. And so one of the things that they do is crucify people naked. So think about that for a minute. All the depictions as you've seen of Jesus on the cross. Do you think the Romans really left him any ounce of dignity? Of course not. They're killing him. They're murdering him. For a Hebrew to appear in public naked is unforgivable. I mean, they, they're, they're original Puritans. I mean, their they're cloaks that we've actually found are from neck to ankle. Uh, they, they're very, uh, very modest, very conservative people. Whereas the Greeks and the Romans that we've talked about in here, yeah, clothes are optional. We don't care. So to humiliate one... Um, and Absalom has, again, just made a bad decision. He needs two senses of counsel, probably, one side and the other side. And now he's, uh, he's cut off the, the good side that he, he probably should have listened to. So, uh, I, I just think about Judas. 
just, I mean, it's, it's natural to think about Judas, I think, and, and uh, Haifel certainly uh, betrayed David, right? And so I think it's, there's, there's that bit working against him, the fear, and then also just uh, the shame that he is dealing with. It's, uh, it's interesting. It, I, I've, just, I've just been wrestling with this. There's a lot of time that the writer has put into this story. Right, and I don't know how it doesn't. It, I feel like I'm missing something. Uh, I'll, I'll be honest with you. I feel like I, I'm. Why? Why is this so important that the writer took so much time to tell us this story? And I'm not sure why. Besides, you know, David, and you have to think back to David's betrayals. You know, with uh, he betrayed Uriah and that kind of thing. So is this betrayal coming back to haunt him? I don't know. Just, uh, just kind of wrestling with it, really, to be honest. But it leaves Absalom in a bad place, that the only advisor, the advice he has now is Hushai, who is working for David. So let's jump to 18, because I always like to fast forward to the battle, to set our armies on the map here. David has uh, his core of men, probably about 600, give or take. These are a combination of uh, just criminals uh, and Judeans that originally sided with him. Remember, they were trained uh, in Gath to fight in the Philistine method of warfare. And then on top of that, David has another 600 uh, Philistines that have been sort of displaced. They've gone mercenary, and so they've signed up with him. So he has a very small but very capable military force. And he's going on the run here, so maybe that's probably to his advantage. On the other hand, we've talked about several times, Israel is going to rely on levies, um, conscripts. Uh, it's The tribes will be supplying these troops um, so it's quantity versus quality. So chapter 18. Now David appointed generals and captains to lead the troops. One-third were placed under Joab. So all that entails, right? Joab is a peacemaker. If only we had Joab this morning in Ukraine, everything would be better. Putin would have an accident in the shower. <laughs> But well, one-third replaced under Joab. Uh, one-third replaced under Joab's brother Abishai, son of Zeruiah. And one-third replaced under the Ittite, the Gittite. The king told his troops, I am going with you. So we'll stop there for a minute. Uh, David has this bloodthirsty family that are cousins of his. So they are two-thirds of the army. And then... Uh, this mercenary, this the this Ittai is a Philistine. This is what they mean by Gittite. Uh, he's he's not even an Israelite. So these are just hardcore mercenaries. But David says, "I am going with you." But his men objected strongly. "You must not go," they urged. "If we have to turn and run, and even if half of us die, it will make no difference to Absalom's troops." For they will be looking only for you, but you are worth 10,000 of us, 
And if it's better that you stay here in the city and send us help if we need it. So what's going on here? It's probably getting old. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Grandpa. Um, you, you ain't got what you used to do. So this is really where I think we get the reality, or at least what David wanted to to present to us. There's a disconnect here. On the one hand, David is divvying up command, and he doesn't include himself which is unusual. I mean, the Israelites don't usually have, like, the general of the army, because communication is not that capable. There's not one person that could oversee the whole battle. What you do is you dedicate yourself to the particular force because you can communicate. Uh, David is dividing into thirds, so he probably should go with one of the thirds of the army. He doesn't. And so we have this little escapade where I think the mercenaries are saying, look, if you get killed, we don't get paid. We're foreigners for the most part in this land. If we lose, they're going to kill us all. So David, you've just got to, to hang back. I think this is an excuse. You're going to battle against your son. Can you trust Joab? Can you trust Joab's brother? Can you trust the mercenary that you just hired 15 minutes before you fled for your life? This is David, I think, copping out again. He should be at least with a third of the army, or he should keep the whole army together. If he doesn't want his son killed, he should be in battle. Yeah. What is the gift God gave David? Yeah. The guy never lost a battle that he wanted to fight. Now, he lost battles that he didn't want to fight, or he stayed home. And wait a minute, what lesson did we learn with Bathsheba? Yeah. What are you staying behind for, David? Again, your kid's in trouble. It's bad. Um, are you going to send, you know, your creepy cousin to go deal with it? There's no surprise here. Joab has killed everybody that David has sent to parlay with or to, to make peace with. He's got, I think, an excuse from his soldiers because they don't want the money to die, but he's using it to, to back off. And again... This is David and Goliath man here. How did that battle go down? Uh, you know, the two armies stood on each side. David and Goliath came out, confronted each other. David can't do that again. He can't call up to Absalom again and say, hey, let's you and I solve this. We don't need to kill our own people over this. You'll see that the blood um, toll is, is, is pretty high. So, yeah, I was just going to say, I, like, I just see, like, in one moment, you're ready to say, the old David's back. He's ready to go. Not like, just like we were talking about in, at the beginning of chapter 11. And then, wow, he just has lost his way. He allows these two people, 
or the I guess three people, but for sure these two, to say, eh. Uh, and, and he's almost like, when, when has David ever said that before? Uh, I will do whatever seems best to you. When has he ever done that? It's it never. I mean, David does what his best. When he's at his best, he's doing something because God is leading him to do it. Uh, kind of in the middle range, it's like, no, I'm just going to do things on my terms. And uh, that you see where that, that gets you. And now he's just like acquiescing. It does seem very, very strange to me uh, to land in this place. Uh, but yeah, again, if he would have gone with his original instinct, Absalom would not have died. I think that's what the writer is trying to, the point that the writer is trying to make. He would have just gone, and again, this is this goes back to what Pastor Kurt's been doing such a good job saying. He wouldn't even have a conversation with Absalom, right? If we'd had the conversation, maybe we wouldn't have been here. But now, if you're just going to go, if you would just go out, then I mean, because the way Absalom ends, it's just like wow, and we're going to get there pretty quick. So, verse four. Like Steve said, if you think that's the best plan, I'll do it. The king finally agreed. So he stood at the gate of the city as all these divisions of troops passed by. And the king gave this command to Joab, Abishai, and Ittai. For my sake, deal gently with Absalom. And all the troops heard the king give this order to his commanders. Um, deal gently. How about under no circumstance are you to kill him, Joab? If you kill him, I will kill you. Uh, deal gently. Okay. So the battle began in the forest of Ephraim, and the Israelite troops were beaten back by David's men. Now this is interesting for me, uh, it, just in terms of the military strategy. Again, David is, or Joab or somebody, is, is pretty, pretty adept. You have a small force, right? You have about 1,200. Uh, you're probably fighting tens of thousands. So a forest is not a bad place. Remember, David's troops are heavy infantry, so shields, spears, uh, lances, uh, javelins, that kind of stuff. So if they can hold up in an area where the larger troops can't surround them or can't just rush in because the trees are breaking up their, their attack path, that's a really good military strategy. Um, it does become dangerous if people start to flee, right? Because you can't get out of the forest as quickly as you would on an open field. But it does negate a lot of the advantage of numbers that the Israelite levy army would, would naturally have. So the Israelite troops were beaten back by David's men. There was a great slaughter. And 20,000 men laid down their lives that day. That's a mess. That's an incredible mess. That's both sides not giving up. Um, that's, I think, the Israelites just throwing uh, wave after wave against this heavy shield wall and just, just being slaughtered. And then the Bible tells us something. Uh, it's, it's interesting. It's a, a Hebrew idiom. Uh, the battle raged across the countryside and more men died because of the forest than were killed by the sword. So what does that mean? It's a Hebrew idiom that means they're dying of their wounds. 
So they're, they're not killed instantly on the battlefield, but they're, they're wounded, probably isolated and stuff like that, so they're not getting them back. Not that medical care was particularly great uh, in the early Iron Age, but um, troops are, are just dying in, in the forest. They're unable to get them out. So I don't care who you are. Um, you know, what if Putin lost 20,000 troops in the Ukraine? I mean, that would be... That would be world-changing. Um, Israel's population is much, much smaller. Maybe a million, maybe. Uh, all tribes combined. So 20,000 is a, is a significant number. And for what? For what? Because you won't talk about your son, you won't talk about your sins, because you won't prepare your son to be a a king after you. I mean, Absalom was supposed to be the king. Um, so it's, it's terrible. During the battle, Absalom came unexpectedly upon some of David's men. And I think this again tells us how chaotic this battle in the forest was. It wasn't, you know, sort of like they normally did. You had one side and one side and everybody runs together and beat each other, and then we're done. Um, this was pockets, and probably and this is today. It's uh, on the in in gap. Do what? Skirmishing. Yeah, yeah. Um, Ephraim is in the north. It's uh, basically Galilee and Syria today. So there's there's hills and there's not a lot of forests. All the trees are gone today. So we sort of have to imagine, but. Um, Everybody knows Riodoso, right? So imagine fighting in Riodoso. I mean, that's that's somewhat similar, probably heavily forested. Uh, so it, there's all sorts of mountains and valleys, and it's it's just a hot mess. But Absalom runs across uh, David's men. He tried to escape on his mule, and I know they take this seriously. But of all the things you're ever going to do in your life, try to escape on your mule. It's, it's not, you know, this isn't jumping in the four-wheeler, you know. Come on, come on, Bessie, you know. Um, I, I have this great video, and I should have brought it. Uh, in the south of Israel today, in the Negev, which is what south means, um, you still see these really hardy um, Israelites. And, uh, you know, it, it's too hard to take care of horses. They still have their donkeys. And you'll see them. I mean, these are rough, tough guys. And there's this photo of this Israeli. He's got flip-flops on. And you could tell, you know, he's been outside. He works. And he's riding his donkey. And, I mean, he is such a bad-looking guy, you know, could kill you with his Uzi. And he's riding a donkey. And his feet are just about scraping the ground. I mean, it's, it's hilarious. So that's what I always think of when, you know, Absalom's like, oh, man, the gig's up. Um, he doesn't have his horses, which remember he had horses, he bought them, um, but now he's on a mule. Um, as he rode beneath the thick branches of a great oak, his hair caught. His mule kept going and left him dangling in the air. Uh, <laughs> how this possibly happens, I don't know. Uh, remember, hair is your masculinity. Uh, this is like Fabio. You know, from the back in the 90s, you know, his luscious long hair. Um, some rabbis say this is 
uh, a way of them saying that it was the arrogance, the 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 foolhardiness of Absalom that caught him. Um, but it does seem to be literal here um, that he's he's dangling in the air. And isn't that like a mule? Have you ever spent time with them? I mean, they'll never go when you want them to, but when you don't want them, they go like crazy. So here you are dangling in the air. One of David's men saw what had happened and told Joab, I saw Absalom dangling in a tree. What? Joab demanded. You saw him and didn't kill him? I would have rewarded you with ten pieces of silver and a hero's belt. So is there any hesitation on the part of Joab to kill him? Not a, not a breath. So he did no more take David's command to heart than anything in the world. So he either didn't think that David was serious or David knew what he was talking about. Um, I wouldn't do it for a thousand pieces of silver, the man replied. We all heard what the king said to you and Abishai and Ittai. For my sake, please don't harm the young Absalom. And if I had betrayed the king by killing his son, the king would certainly find out who did it, and you yourself would be the first to abandon me. <laughs> so now we come to it. This is what I mean. These are not um, sweet, lovely men, right? These are mercenaries. These are cutthroat pirates. Uh, and this is David's mighty men. Enough of this nonsense, Joab said. Then he took three daggers and plunged them into Absalom's heart as he dangled from the oak tree still alive. Ten of Joab's young armor bearers then surrounded Absalom and killed him. Then Joab blew the trumpet and his men returned from chasing the army of Israel. They threw Absalom's body into a deep pit in the forest and piled a great heap of stones over it. And the army of Israel fled to their homes. On no account is this good. So they mutilated him. Again, uh, he's not going to be taken to David's tomb and buried there. He's going to be buried in an unmarked grave in the, in the middle of the forest. So there is some desecration of memory that Absalom is trying to go through. And again, not a, a bit of bit of hesitation. I think everything that has been said about Joab was leading to this point, because unlike David, Joab has been amazingly consistent. He's never not done this. There are, I think, always people or maybe behaviors sins that we always keep on standby, that if we need an escape from our problems, our stress, our worries, or we just can't morally get ourselves to do something, we have this way out. And Joab, I think, is forever the lesson of don't keep the pit bull uh, at your side, thinking the pit bull will only ever bite somebody that you want them to Eventually, the pit bull will, will turn on you. And so that's, that's happened. 
So talk about being consistent. What happens every time a messenger comes to David and says, oh, we killed your enemy? What does David do? He kills the messenger. <laughs> yep. So how do you think it's going to go down if you say, hey, guess what, David? We've won the battle. We killed the rebel. Yep. You killed my son? We have a little interlude in verse 18. During his lifetime, Absalom had built a monument to himself in the king's valley. For he had said, I have no son to carry on my name. He named the monument after himself, and it is known as Absalom's monument to this day. Unfortunately, we don't know where this is. We don't know what they're talking about. We do know the King's Valley. It's the Kidron Valley. And today you can uh, visit it. There are several mausoleums uh, that have been cut out of, again, the limestone. Um, they're, they're pretty spectacular. But we don't know one that is from the time of, of this early, this Iron Age. There's later ones. Um, I sure would like to find it. Uh, I don't know why it would be difficult to find. Or there's no ruins that we have found of one um, that maybe we misidentified. But certainly they, they knew of something. And I think we just have to keep, keep digging. But then Zadok's son, Ahimaaz, so this is one of the priests that helped spy for David, said, let me run to the king with the good news that the Lord has saved him from his enemy, Absalom. No, Joab told him, it wouldn't be good news to the king that his son is dead. Uh, so you know this, you know this, Joab. Uh, you can be my messenger some other time, but not today. <laughs> so I think that's a little funny. Um, 21, then Joab said to a man from Cush, you know where Cush is? It's Ethiopia. So they went and got the black guy. I hate to say it, but that's, that's what they did. Uh, the, the Cushites are Ethiopians. They are from the south of Egypt. Uh, they, are, they have been used in the Egyptian military for well over a thousand years at this point. They're almost like Egyptian special forces. They're tough. Uh, sometimes the, uh, the Asiatics call them uh, the bird eye men because they're so adept with bows that they said they can shoot the eye out of a bird. Um, but the Egyptians used them for everything from police called Medjai to, to special units in, uh, in the military. Uh, there, I should have brought another picture of it. There, there's a, a model of an Egyptian army that during the Middle Kingdom, which is way, way, it's like a thousand years before this. And so they have one depiction of the red-skinned Egyptians with heavy shields and spears. And then right next to it, they have a depiction of uh, these Kushites, uh, dark-skinned with uh, bows and arrows. And so that was you know, sort of their, their breakdown of the army. So that a Kushite is fighting for David's mercenaries is probably a very interesting story. 
I would love to know that story. He is probably a very good soldier, but he's probably broken a law in Egypt or something like that, and had to run and, and find new, um, new accommodations. But for all of his prowess, he's a foreigner, and he's not related to Joab. So Joab says to the man from Cush, uh, go tell the king uh, what you've seen. Uh, the man bowed and ran off. So how do you think that's going to go? Sounds like they were good marathon runners back then, too. Yeah, and Kushites are really, really well known for that, um, to be fast runners, too. Yeah, so... Well, we'll we'll stop there. Uh, we'll we'll see which messenger gets there first, the priest or the poor Cushite, um, and how David reacts. But this is this is the dark, dark place. So, questions? Is there anything symbolic in the fact that they use three daggers? Mine says three spears. Why did, why not just one? Because he really wants him dead. Yeah. And then they kill him. And then, you're right. Yeah. And it, it, the, I think the only significance they would have gotten that maybe we miss is complete. So three is, is really dead. Like Jesus is dead for three days, so it means he's really, really, really dead. So um, Absalom wants him gone. Yeah. And there must have been something that happened to Joab that he's incapacitated in some way. I mean, unconscious or something. I, I can't rem- imagine he wouldn't pull his hair out to get away or something, but I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Bad such situation and all around. And we're out of time, but remember... The Absalom and Joab, or Joab had helped Absalom work things out with his dad, you know, to come back. I mean, just how cold-blooded is this guy uh, that he would kill the kid he helped? So, anyway, well, let's pray. <sighs> Father God, we're reminded again this morning that wars never go well. It is a great sin against you when we, with a high hand, decide to slay our brother, whether individually with Cain and Abel or 20,000 in a forest. Father, even as we read this very ancient history to us, we sit on the cuspus of evil men leading the world to war again. Father God, may the righteous stand up May the good beat back the evil. May those that would sacrifice other lives fade and go away. Teach us, O Lord, to make the right decisions that we can and not always try to drag you into covering up our mistakes. Father God, we know we'll probably never sit on a battlefield across from our kids, but we know we will have conflict with our kids, with our co-workers, with our friends. May this pain that is the story of David stay with us. Sometimes just to be right is wrong. Just to hold on to what we've had when we're going to pass it to the kids in the next generation anyway is just selfishness. 
Help us, O Lord, to be able to battle all evil, even when the evil is us. We thank you for the example of David, that there are two hearts beating within his soul, a battle between the two. Help us to see that in ourselves, that we do have darker natures that we need to stop. The greatest battle we will face is not against the Philistines or Goliath, but facing our own dark selves and what we're capable of doing to those that we love out of selfishness. Help us to learn. In your son's name we pray. Amen. Grace and peace, y'all.